0: The retreat happens out of silence, begins in silence and emerges from it, goes back into it time and time again, over and over again. What I'm talking about now is just outer silence. So we have an agreement, all of us, to be very careful about when we speak. for the most part, there are very few occasions to speak. There will be interviews, of course, discussion groups. and Sometimes your job will require that some verbal communication happens. But other than that, one of the foundations for the retreat is simply to stop talking. Of course, I don't know most of you but probably you've come from a situation where there's a lot of talking, a lot of movement, travel, many people in your life, things to do, going in and out, up and down, and so forth. Here we have a community of people. We're a temporary community, you could say, for 10 days. We're practicing together, and the heart of Buddhist meditation has to do with self-understanding, self-knowledge. Wouldn't that be better done alone? After all, it's about me. I want to understand myself. So why crowd together like this, so many of us? Certainly one way to get to know yourself is to be alone. But it seems the lessons of history have taught us, really thousands of years, many generations of meditators, many, many who've come before us, have learned that apparently it can be very, very helpful, even ingenious, to bring a group of people together, even though the purpose is for you to understand yourself. So we have an unusual kind of group. We're alone, and yet we're very much together. The agreement To protect the silence is like a bare minimum because the silence is fragile and can fall apart easily if people don't honor it. And Although you'll be encouraged over and over again and be given some techniques, all of which have the same effect, the same direction, which is to turn your attention around to experience yourself, your breath, the state of your mind, the state of your body, or if you are in a social situation, alertness. So all of us will be encouraged to remain present, primarily to ourselves, as we do things together. Now, that can be very, very helpful, otherwise we wouldn't be doing these things. It would have died out a long time ago. It has been found to be extremely useful. One of the main ways in which it's useful is simply to have company to take a look into ourselves because even though perhaps everyone in this room agrees of the importance of self-understanding because our actions flow out of us as we are, the degree to which we are confused or clear will have an effect in terms of the actions that flow out from us. And probably everyone in this room agrees to that, and most universities agree to it, and all philosophers agree that it's very important to understand yourself. Socrates, a life unexamined is not a life worth living. And yet, despite that, there aren't long lines of people queuing up to do it. We see long lines of people queuing up for all kinds of other things. But relatively speaking, this may seem like a lot of people But, you know, it really isn't. So it seems as if the journey of self-understanding has some difficulties involved. Fear of ourselves, lack of confidence, and so forth. And when we come together like this, even though we don't talk very much, just the fact that we practice together, and you'll see, for those of you who are staying longer, but even for the weekend, it's unrelenting. You know, we just be moving from one activity to the other together sitting and walking and eating and working over and over and over and over again. And so that kind of support has proven to be invaluable for all kinds of people over the centuries. That's the positive side. The negative side, it's not really negative, but it's slightly different, is that because we're all bandied together here, we're going to affect one another. You might not like that person's uh, color of socks, You'll see, it can get get down to that level by about day three or four. Or whatever. So we're going to be affecting each other, liking this, not liking that, and you'll be encouraged to weave that into your practice. So that what we're attempting to do is to use the group in such a way as to really help with spiritual ripening. I would say a retreat like this is a, a way to intensify or mature our spiritual development kind of uh, facilitates the ripening process. This hall, I sometimes see it as a kind of a place to just burn up delusions. Meditation hall, is that's what it is. You, we all come with all kinds of notions about this, that, and the other. And most of them probably won't stand up when you take a look at them. But find out so we'll be working very intimately together affecting one another if you practice you'll be encouraged most of you know this but some of you may not the key to our practice is simply to be able to pay attention you'll hear all kinds of there'll be talks and meditate uh, hints instructions but finally you'll see that the uh, fundamentally what we're talking about is attention how to pay attention to our own experience as we live our life out to be awake to ourselves whether we're here or whatever else we're doing throughout the day. Now if you're doing that, if you're for example just simply following the instructions attempting to be mindful even though the mind will wander off whether you're walking somewhere or eating or whatever or in the hall itself, that affects people who are practicing with you. I've seen this happen. All it takes is two or three people to start whispering a lot or talking a lot and it affects the entire retreat. So we're all sensitive to each other. We're here to accomplish finally, fundamentally the same thing, freedom. Freedom through understanding. And it can be a very rich time for those of you who are new to the silence, and especially not only is it silent but you have a lot of uh, company in the silence. Don't be quick to judge it. Let it unfold. Stay close to your own experience and your own honest reactions. You don't have to have an ideal that you love the stillness. All it is is a context, a frame within which we have an opportunity to get to know the workings of our own mind. Because when we simplify our situation, as of course this will be, probably more simple than what your life is like before you came here, and we get quiet, then what's left? There's no reading. You're encouraged not to read, not to write. If you can, don't use the telephone. In short, we're eliminating all kinds of very useful avenues of expression but for purposes of the retreat they're not. These are not useful. Rather when we take those uh, avenues of expression away what we wind up with is ourselves and that's good that's why we're here and you'll be getting help not only from the group but there'll be interviews and uh, clarification as to why we do it and how to do it. But finally, it always boils down to the same thing. It's not very complicated. We call it mindfulness. You can call it attention or awareness. You could also call it respect because what we'll be encouraging one another to do is to learn how to pay respect, give respect to, every, to our life, finally, it's to our life, the value of being alive, having a human form with all that goes with it, to have this opportunity to learn and to practice and to grow. But the attitude that we're developing is not a kind of, for those, especially those of you who are new, it's not just a kind of a cold, neutral, uh, fixed gaze at things but actually entering fully, wholeheartedly, into whatever your life is in a given moment. In the hall, it's pretty straightforward. You'll actually have instructions. But the heart of the instructions don't change even though we move through different activities. So whether it's eating, or walking, or washing, or making your bed, can you approach it with that same quality of respect, of care, Another way of looking at what we are attempting to learn and develop on a retreat of this sort is to come to intimacy. Practice is, for me, practice has to do with intimacy. It's a good word. Many of us want intimacy. There's a lot of discussion of it in terms of relationships and so forth. As I mean it, it would include relationship, but it really is intimate with everything. Starting with our breath, let's say, which you will learn about in a few moments. But there isn't anything that we'll be doing during our time together that's so insignificant that it's not worthy of our full care and attention. So we're learning how to take the ordinariness of our life, which fills up a good deal of our life, instead of always preparing for real living, which is later on, if we do this then later on something will be really exciting or valuable or important we take our life just as we find it from moment to moment as the treasure even when we're suffering as you may find your suffering if you, those who are i wouldn't say it's limited to 9 or 10 days it can be a weekend of course probably all of us will go through the full range of human emotions loving being here hating being here Doubting everything about this place, the teachings, the teachers, you doubting yourself. And then it passing and wanting to buy a ticket to Thailand or Burma because you had, in quotes, a good sitting, you feel some calm. So we'll go through quite a range of experience. Can we cherish all of it and not be so concerned about where it leads, but rather to see that the, what we're doing is, it, is the end itself. Life is like that. We play a game in our mind of always going from here to there. We start at A and then we'll move on to B and then to C and then ideally if we can skip over a lot of those other letters and get to Z quickly. But in this practice, what we're learning is how to get from A to A. You might say, Well why do you have to learn that? Aren't we already? If you're an A, that's where you are. Maybe, but sometimes when we're a, we're an A, our mind's on Z or on C, and so we're learning how to take up whatever it is that makes up our life in a given moment, and to give full care and attention to it. Okay, we won't do that a lot, guaranteed, because we have habits that don't go in that way. We have conditioning habits that go in quite a different direction. and The practice and part of why it's so valuable to do it in a group is that we'll all bring each other back time and time again to this moment, to just this, whatever that this is. And so very quietly, carefully, little by little, the work of self-understanding gets done in this particular retreat we have the opportunity to simplify our lives perhaps your life is complicated to slow our lives down perhaps your life is fast and to begin to allow things to surface and to settle and to come to take stock of ourselves now the heart of the practice is this capacity to be awake with your experience now, just this, whatever it is that's happening right now. From that point of view, those of you who have been practicing for 25 years and someone who just walked in to keep warm, we're all in the same place. And whatever you brought into the retreat is perfect to practice with. Couldn't be better because it's you. And the materials of our practice right now are not (coughs) Buddhism as ideas, but actually the true Buddhism has to do with self-understanding. And so, however you came to this retreat, maybe you think your mind is wild, or maybe you think you have a lot of trouble in your life, or you have a hard time with silence, and you have doubt, and so forth. Perfect. So whatever it is that we brought here with us, good enough, it's good to begin with because what we're attending to is the way it is for us in a given moment. There's going to be not as much, for some of you this may be frustrating, emphasis on getting particular states of consciousness. Although obviously a lot of what we're doing is allowing ourselves to move into stillness and peace, basically by not obstructing that process. Nonetheless, you don't get to it by trying to get to it because that trying would be a stirring that would upset the peace of the mind but actually very often by noticing the restlessness by noticing the distraction. In short, again, coming back to the present moment taking care of that and if we do that that's the dynamic power of the practice comes out of the energy of the present moment being fully experienced, not an intellectual goal that you're striving to attain. In a very profound way, is only now. It keeps being like that. Have you noticed? And life keeps insisting on being just the way it is from moment to moment. When something's over, it's over. Completely. We cannot bring it back. And something that hasn't happened yet is not here. So life as it keeps insisting on being just the way it is, that's our subject. That's what we're learning to relax with, to get to know, to become more intimate with. And what is being said in all the teachings, the Buddha and many great teachers, ancestors, who've come down through the ages to pass on the same message and help, is that it is possible for human beings to become free, to free themselves from unnecessary torment, suffering. It's possible. We all have immense potential. It's possible to tap that potential, to realize it, to express it. And it's up to us to do it. All all that someone else can do is encourage you or share their experience or reflect back how they see you. But finally, each one of us, and that's a core value in Vipassana practice, is learning how to take care of our own life, how to take care of ourselves. Okay, Ryan has a few words to... Uh, add about before we move into the instructions themselves.
1: of coming to understand ourselves more fully, more deeply. And in understanding ourselves, being able to understand one another, being able to understand this world of ours more fully and more deeply. In this journey of openness, a lot tends to happen. And we may experience thoughts and feelings and sensations in the body that we've not experienced before. Or we may experience what we have experienced before in a more vivid, in a more clear way. And so it's very helpful to be able to take refuge in something that is beyond our own mind. In something that's beyond our opinions about how things are, beyond our views, beyond our assumptions. And so we begin a retreat traditionally by taking refuge in what is called the Triple Gem. We take refuge in the Buddha. The Buddha not so much as a person who lived 2,500 years ago, although if this is meaningful for you, then great. But much more than this, it's taking refuge in Buddha nature. It's taking refuge in the unconditioned, in that which is underneath conditioned phenomena. It's taking refuge in freedom, in the possibility of the fruition of compassion and of wisdom within us, within ourselves. Not for one person and not for another, but for each one of us, Buddha nature. And we take refuge in what's called the Dharma, which means the way things are, the law, the laws of the universe. In our practice, we learn more and more about these laws, about nature itself. And in learning more and more about nature itself, we learn how to come into harmony with how things are, rather than pushing against. And so we take refuge in the fact that things are not just chaotic and wild, that there are laws that There are things we can learn and understand. And that there are causes for happiness, and that there are causes for suffering, for unhappiness. And we take refuge in what's called the Sangha, which is what Larry was speaking about in the beginning. It's us, this community, right here and now. Nurturing one another, helping one another, helping us stay here, helping us stay seated in the midst of whatever it is that's occurring. As well as this community, all of us here being Sangha, it's also knowing that all over the world people right now are sitting, are being mindful in whatever activity is happening, not just in the sitting, but being mindful and awake in whatever is going on. And that here, just as in other places, the same exact (coughs) practice is happening. And so we can take refuge in this fact that we are not doing this alone. We can also take refuge in the fact that this practice has been happening for 2,500 years and that freedom is possible. So that's Sangha too. There's 2,500 years of people doing this very same practice as you and I right now. One aspect of Sangha is working with the precepts, because working with the precepts allows us a certain spaciousness, a certain freedom in our own practice, and it's a freedom that we also give one another. And so we take the precepts as a way to support our own practice and to support the practice of one another. The first precept is to not destroy life, to not harm life, however small that life form may be. The second is to not take that which doesn't belong to us, that which hasn't been freely given to us. The third precept usually means to not misuse sexuality, to use sexuality in a way that's non-harmful. In the context of a retreat, it means not to engage in sexual activity at all. The fourth precept has to do with speech, and usually it means to use speech that is wise and truthful and what it means in a context of this retreat as you've heard a lot by this point is to maintain silence and to really be impeccable in maintaining silence because it does get catch get it gets catchy when one doesn't so really to be very very careful in maintaining silence and the fifth is to not take anything not take any intoxicants or alcohol or drugs or anything like that, to not confuse the mind. Since we're moving towards more clarity and wakefulness, we don't want to take anything that might confuse the mind further. So taking the refuges, if this is helpful for you, taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in the Dharma, taking refuge in the Sangha as well as taking on the precepts. We'll move into a little bit of sitting right now with the initial instructions. Um, It won't be a long sit. We know that you've come from different places. So, beginning by paying attention to the posture, to the body. Check the spine. Let the spine be straight. Without being tight or rigid, let it be straight. Sometimes it helps if there's a little bit of an indentation in the lower part of the spine. It helps in keeping the chest area open. The legs can be in any position that's comfortable for you. And allowing the hands to be at rest, to be still. doesn't matter how you have them, just know where they are. and letting the eyes close very gently without tension, without trying to keep them closed (coughs) bringing the head up so that the back of the head is so that there's a straight line between the back of the head the neck and the spine itself it's best if the head is not up too far or down too far just right in the middle and settle into the posture feel the body sitting right now Just sitting. Feeling the contact between the body and the cushion or the chair or the bench. Feeling the contact between the legs and the mat. Just sitting. body be relaxed and at ease while maintaining an upright posture let the shoulders drop let the stomach the abdomen be relaxed the facial muscles let them drop Need to hold on to anything, and out of this sense of being in the body connecting with the breathing connecting with the in-breath connecting with the feeling of the out-breath aware of these sensations of breathing no need to think about the breath no need to imagine it in any way Feel the actual sensations occurring with this in-breath, to feel the actual sensations occurring with this out-breath. feeling each breath as it is. No need to make it longer or shorter or more shallow or more deep or anything at all. No need to make it conform to any idea about how the breath should be. Being with the breathing as it actually is. You might be aware of feeling the breathing more in one area of the body than in another. You may be aware of it most clearly in the nose as the air goes in and out of the nose. You might feel it most clearly in the chest or in the abdomen. where it's strongest for you easiest to feel there's no one better place to be it's wherever it's easiest to be with the breathing and let this place be your home home for the mind home for the heart whenever you find the mind has left home without judgment without harshness without the need to punish the mind for having left just guide it back guide it back to the feeling of the breathing No need to be concerned about thoughts arising and passing away, moods or emotions, feelings, other sensations in the body. It's not that the world stops just because our intention is to be with the breathing. Fully attend to this in-breath. Fully attend to this out-breath. Notice if you're trying too hard notice if the face is scrunched up using just enough effort to be with the breath to be with this breath Please get a good night's sleep tonight, and we'll meet early in the morning. Um, Make your way back to where you're sleeping in a mindful way. Begin to practice right away by being mindful as you walk, as you get ready for bed, and as you're lying in bed, to notice the breathing, just to be with the body, to be with the breathing until you fall off to sleep. When you wake up in the morning, before getting out of bed, be in touch with the breath once again. Be in touch with the body once again.